Welcome to Accelerate Access, where we share stories of how access to opportunity changes lives. I'm Leanne Buchanan, your host, and I'm also the founder of NIA Project, an organization that clears the pathway to college by providing training and tech-based tools to underrepresented students to remove the systemic and practical barriers to higher education. With me for our Conversation today is 2022 NIA Project Fellow, Adrian. Adrian, welcome. Hello. Hi, everyone. How are you? So, Adrian, we are going to talk all about access, your NIA Project experience, where you're at, what you're doing. Um, and I like to kick off our conversations with a bit of a rapid fire, just so you get comfortable and we get to know you a little bit further before we dive deeper. But why don't you just start by telling us, you know, where are you currently located? What are you doing with your life? And then we'll kick off with the rapid fire. Great. So hello, everyone. My name is Adrian Oyola. I am a freshman at Loyola University, Chicago, class of 2027. Um, and yeah, I moved from Miami to Chicago this past August. Um, it's been pretty good so far coming from such a hot climate to now what I feel is like the North Pole is pretty much of a change, but it's been pretty good. Um, and yeah, I'm a 2022 Near Project Fellow and we had the opportunity to go on a fellowship to Ghana. We're going to talk all about your experience in Ghana to Ghana and what happened yeah. leading up to it. But just a couple of rapid fires to warm the mic. So Adrian, what do you spend too much time doing? I would say I spend too much time listening to music. I listen to music like at all times of the day, like all times of the day. What is currently on repeat on your preferred streaming platform? Ooh. I'm actually, I just got into the hype of Suits. So I'm I'm on Netflix watching Suits in between studying and stuff. So yeah, it's been good. And Adrian, what is most important to you? Representation is most important to me. Why? Because I feel that representation is something that can unlock multiple generations of of wealth, of excellence, of growth, of of opportunities, of uh, perseverance. So I think that when you see someone that is like you in a space that you would um, desire to be in, it motivates you to want to do that. So uh, representation is key in a lot of factors. I always say that representation is such a critical aspect of forming your own identity because it is who you're exposed to that can inspire you to say, I want to be like this. I love what this person's doing with their life or or particularly for, for people with um, backgrounds that are historically marginalized or underrepresented. Mm -hmm. When you see someone whose lived experience looks like yours, represents yours, it kind of provides like a pathway or a roadmap to say, if yeah. this person did it, then I can do it too. Definitely. So Adrian, on the topic of representation, I want to start our conversation by understanding a little bit more about your story. Um, okay. Tell me about your childhood. Where did you grow up? What was it like? And 
were there specific defining moments that you think made you into the person you are today? That's great. Um, I grew up in Miami, Florida, specifically within the city of Hialeah. Um, I grew up mainly living with my mom and my grandma. My dad um, was in my life. Um, my parents just were not um, together. So I would see my dad on the weekends or whenever he would come on um, like during the weekday. But the majority of my life, I lived with my mom and my grandma. Um, and it was a pretty good childhood. I really can't say anything bad about my childhood because, um, I mean, I had fun. I come from a big um, Dominican and uh, Puerto Rican uh, family. So a lot of parties, a lot of events, a lot of get togethers. Um, so I was always around family and community. Um, and I would just say that that shaped me a lot to want to continue that, which is why I'm grateful to be a part of the uh, NIA Project uh, family and now being able to move states and grow and make new friends um, and network and stuff. So my childhood has definitely played a role in who I am now. And a few of the of um, defining moments was um, my weight loss journey was a big part of, of my life and something that showed me um, my um, determination, my willpower, how I'm like a go-getter. So when I put my mind to something, I tend to always not stop until I get there. Um, and yeah. I want to stop, pause for a second. Talk to us about that particular experience, because when someone has a, um, opportunity to reimagine who they are. I'm always curious what prompted that journey? What who was the Adrian before you had a weight loss journey? What prompted it? And how do you feel afterwards? Yeah. Um the Adrian that I was before was similar to the Adrian that I was now because I've always stayed true to who I am through every phase of my life. However, it was an Adrian that was more concerned with what other people thought with comparing myself to other people with not thinking that I had unique superpowers that I learned that I did. So I would just say it kind of was an Adrian that was a little lost. Um, what prompted my weight loss journey was a series of health reasons. I mean, I was 245 pounds and I was only 14 years old at the time. So I, so I was very, very young. I had developed um, a fatty liver. I was on the verge of uh, thyroid cancer. I had um, diabetes. So it was just a lot of things happening. And I was so young. And my sisters were just born, Zoe and Zara, and they're uh, very young. So I was like, how am I going to be there for them and for my family and for myself? And just trying to be able to uh, manage everything. Um, so that led me to um, uh, become vegan. And actually, on March 1st of this year would be my five-year vegan anniversary so it's crazy to even say that because like I said uh coming from a big Hispanic household being vegan is you never hear of that at all like my great-grandmother like almost like fell out of her seat when she heard that so um so yeah so I would say that the weight loss journey and the lessons that I learned uh, from it has shown how now I'm more confident in myself, more confident in my decisions, more confident in what I want to go for. And to just know that if you truly put your mind to something, you can do it um, regardless 
of any challenges or battles that uh, may come. One of the things you mentioned, Adrian, that stuck out to me is that you grew up in Hialeah and your yes. back is uh, Dominican and Puerto Rican. Talk yes. to me a little bit about how you have navigated kind of the cultural pressures and your mm. own identity and also maybe even breaking the mold of some of mm -hmm. the cultural patterns that you were exposed to as a, as a child. Yeah, um, I would say growing up, uh, well, um, Dominican and uh, Puerto Ricans, we are um, a part of the Caribbean. So I would say Caribbean mindset versus South and Central American mindset is kind of different. Um, and all of my Caribbean people would know what I'm talking about. Um, but yeah, I would say that growing up in those two groups, I would say we were always taught family comes first. You're always there for your family. You have to work hard. You go for your dream. Um, a key thing that my mom um, has always like instilled in me, like ever since I was young, was that having like an education was the key to success. So that kind of was always like a driving force in me to always do good in school. I was always um striving for principal's honor roll superior honor roll and just trying my best to to make my family proud um but i would say i've i've in a way have broken the mold because i've been i think one of the first people in my family to truly be living my life authentically as myself and be proud of that and to turn um things that may be seen as a weakness into a strength and a superpower so for example living as an openly Hispanic gay young man um, that came from a single mom household that went to a public school that had the opportunity now to go to school on a full ride. It's it's just so many things that my family had never witnessed or had someone within the, um, the family to be able to say that they have done that. Um, so I'm grateful to have been able to do that. Plus, I hope that by me breaking the mold, my the future generations of my cousins, um, my siblings and close family can be able to see that and want to motivate themselves to want to do better and push for more and just know that at the end of the day, the sky's the limit. You know, Adrian, something that you said um, that I want to tease out with a little bit more depth is this idea of breaking the mold and being the first. Mm -hmm. Now we touched on your superpowers and we're about to get to those in a second. Um, but, you know, two things that come to mind. Um, what does it feel like to be the first? And what does it feel like to live authentically as someone who identifies as LGBTQ plus IA and all the letters, um, but also have this intersectional kind of experience? in yeah. a culture that is super family oriented, perhaps maybe not as accepting of folks that don't fit the mold of what you expect as a child of an immigrant and the life that is planned out for you. So talk to us a little bit about what it's like to be the first, but also to live maybe counter to what the expectations might've been for the life yeah. your family wanted for you. Yeah, um, I would say, um, I would say that the plan that my family had for me, I feel like my family's always been kind of like, you do what 
makes you happy and what you feel the most um like passionate about of course I feel like as someone that comes from a family of like immigrants you put this pressure like on yourself which also comes with being the first you feel like you're the first so you have to lead by example you have to be the one that your siblings your cousins and anyone that may like look up to you can be able to be like okay if he did it then so can I so there is a level of pressure with that comes with being the the first but I feel like there's also the same amount of a reward that comes with being the first because you're able to be the champion for your family. You're um you're able to be the champion for your uh community, your city, your group. Um, so I would say there's a level of there's a level of power within it, and there's a level of pressure with it as well. And I feel that having a balance of both can always allow you to strive to um do better and be more. Um, and at the end of the day, I'm like just knowing that you have to do whatever makes you happy. And at the end of the day, if your family loves you, supports you and is there uh, for you, they will see that your career, your major, your where you move, who you love is just a part of who you are as a person. And that should not change their love for you as a person. So always having that good uh, supportive um, system uh, behind you. I love this juxtaposition and interesting like double-edged sword idea of pressure and power. Yeah. I think a lot of times, and you know, I've worked with students for years and years and years. Um, mm -hmm. And we I spend a lot of time with young people. And I think sometimes there is a very binary view of how life is and op how opportunities are where there's just a, particularly with Im immigrant communities, there's a feeling that you mm -hmm. feel pressured and you got to do well. And as a re recovering perfectionist, I know very well what that feels like. And I never thought about it as a power or a privilege or some type of positive thing that you can wield. So I really appreciate your articulation of that. You know, one of the things that, um, we're focused on at NIA Project is this idea that access changes lives. But really, it's not just access, it's access to certain types of opportunities. Um, what is yeah. one opportunity that has changed your life? I would say NIA Project, the opportunity to be a part of NIA Project. And I'm just not speaking about the fellowship because yes, the fellowship was a once in a lifetime opportunity that I am so grateful. And still, when I speak about it, it still like blows me away that I had the opportunity to do that. But I would just say having the opportunity to be a part of this family um, and being able to gain so much wisdom, so much knowledge, so much information, so much guidance and help um, has truly been one of the best things. Because I will always say without the help of Near Project, I'm not 100% sure that I still would be in the space that I'm in right now in terms of a full ride scholarship in terms of my mentor, a shout out to Don. Um, and yeah, so I would just say having the opportunity to become a near project fellow um, has forever changed my life. And I will always be grateful for it. Yeah. So a lot of people aren't familiar with Nia projects, um, but let's like take all of what you said and break it down into different chunks. Okay. Tell us about how you like first tell us what Neo Project is in your own words, but I also want to understand, like, how did you learn about it? What did it feel yeah. like when you 
first heard about this crazy idea that yeah. we take to Sub-Saharan Africa and Southeast Asia. Um, mm-hmm. And then we'll, then, we'll, then we'll continue on with your access journey. Okay. Um, so one word that I would say to describe Neo Project is um, revolutionary. That would be the first word because I would feel because I feel that Neo Project is something that can take the world by storm and it it probably will. And I know that it will. It's just going to take a little bit of time. But I would say revolutionary would be the word that I would say to describe Neo Project. But Neo Project is an organization that caters to students that are in um less privileged uh, communities um, and allows them to have um, opportunities and the access, resources, help, guidance um, to be able to excel. Um, there is different uh, components within um, NEO Project and different steps. There's um, different phases. But at the end of the day, there's always this focus on making sure that you can figure out how you uniquely show up as a leader in your community, in the world, in your school, um, and how you can use that for your uh, uh, careers and to advance. Mm-hmm. So when you first heard about Nia Project, how did it feel? And oh were you were you interested? Were you not? Yeah. Tell us about so, it. So I heard about Nia Project in high school. My cap advisor at the time, Ms. Gobert, she had called me into her office and she's like, I just got this message. Um, I haven't sent that out to everyone yet. I really think you would be perfect for it. And I was like, what is it? And so she started to 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 um, tell me about it, mainly about the fellowship. And I just was like, I'm going to to Africa, to some part within Africa for two weeks for free. And then they're going to help me with trying to get into college. Like I was like, there's no way that like this is real. So I was like, send me the the flyer or like what she had at the time. And then I went home. I started to do my normal pre-law student things and do as much research as I can and try to find stuff. And then I was like, they have an Instagram page and there's a you and there's YouTube videos and there's testimonies. And I was like, this is real. And then I was like, wow, like, should I like apply? I had spoke, uh, uh, spoken to my mother about it. And she's like, I've never been away from you for that long. Like, how is that going to happen if you get it? And I was like, I'm not sure I'm going to apply. Let's see what happens. And I was really nervous and I was excited and I was still like, this can't be real. There's no way. Then I went through the entire process and finally found out that I was chosen out of, I don't know, 300 to 400 applicants out of a group of that many to be selected to be one of 12 to uh, be able to have the opportunity to go on the fellowship was just it was it was crazy. It was something that I never thought um could happen, something that I never heard about. Um so yeah, so Neo Project for sure surprised me and it's something that changed my life. Yeah. What was so you get selected and mm-hmm. that was I I'm sure a very long and drawn out process. <laughs> but yeah. what when you got like when you're getting on the plane, talk to us about what it felt like getting yeah. on the plane with the other students. Yeah. Like, There's one experience during your fellowship that just always stands out to you. Yeah. I would say, so it seemed a little weird because I was like, I'm going to go across the world with a group of people that I've only met like once. 
and I'm going to be away from my family. I was like, this is crazy. But I was like, just trust the process. You have you have this opportunity. Um, and I was like, you know what? Like, let's just go for it. So I remember that Leanne, she she gave me my first task when we were at the um, the airport. And she's like, OK, I'm going to go through through pre-check because I have pre-check. But I need you to make sure that all of these kids make it past TSA. And I was like, OK, so this is my first test as a leader. And I did it. So I was the last one to pass, but I made sure that everyone had their passport, that everyone had their stuff and that everyone made it through. So I remember sitting down and we flew from Miami to New York. I was nervous and I still couldn't like believe it. But then once I got on the plane from New York to Ghana and I sat down and I saw that the 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 little like TV that was in front of me said nine hours and 50 minutes. That's when it hit. And I was like, I'm going to go to Africa like this is crazy. And yeah, so that was kind of my first realization moments. And then I would say an experience that will always stay with me was um, going to the human, uh, the human uh, leadership um, academy in the human factor leadership academy in Ghana and spending time with the children there. Um, just hearing from them, teaching them, learning from them, spending the day playing baseball, soccer, um, just like having fun with them, that is kind of one of my core memories that I've always um, held strong to. Amazing. I I did not remember I gave you that task, but I'm so glad that it made an impression on you. <laughs> you know, I know you're telling on me right now, but I don't do anything but pre-check or global entry. <laughs> <laughs> Once you get it, you understand why you don't do it. Right, anything. right. So you go to Ghana, I think one of my most memorable experiences with you and your fellowship is we had a couple of side moments. We got mm -hmm. a chance to do some film work, um, mm -hmm. myself, you, Layla, and mm -hmm. our peer facilitator, um, when we get to go film some B-roll of the Human Factor Leadership Academy elementary campus that had unfortunately suffered from um, a flood. Mm -hmm. um, and... I also remember walking down the street from our hotel to the high school, singing Whitney Houston at the top yes. of our lungs, with all the people looking at us like we were crazy. And that was just, that was just a moment of joy. Yes. So talk to us a little bit about how you find moments of joy. I would say I find moments of joy through... Just being present. I feel like a lot of times in this new generation, we're always on TikTok, on our phones, on Instagram or whatever. And we always have to get that one photo that we look so good in and make sure that our meal looks good in this um, story post. But I feel like having the opportunity to stay present, which is why I'm grateful that on the fellowship, um, we would have moments that our phones would not be there or they were either um, taken or we would leave them. Or in my case, I lost complete service um, like once I landed. So I was speaking um, to my family through one of my other um, like fellows phones. So I feel like that really helped me during my fellowship and being able to find joy, find peace um, and just find excitement was just having the opportunity to be present and to just um, like enjoy the experiences that came and to just know that you can learn from them, you can grow from them or simply like just have a fun time. Yeah. 
one of the one of the rites of passage um, mm-hmm. you've been through that a lot of people do not find joy in is mm-hmm. the college admissions process. Yes. And so um, part of what NEA Project does, as you mentioned, is we have a tech platform called Access Online, which is on-demand college strategy coaching on pretty much everything but the test and your grades. We focus mm-hmm. on providing students who don't have the money to pay $500 or $30,000 for a private coach to be able to get the same types of support that mm-hmm. you all in Neo Project get both in the platform as well as kind of one-on-one and in a group-based setting. Mm-hmm. Um, Adrian, talk to us a little bit about like that college admissions process. Yeah. Um, we know you're at Loyola University. Do you want to give a little bit of a, a teaser about yes. Well, how it got there, but talk to us about that type of process and what it was like. Yeah, um, the college application process, I would say was pretty scary because I had never been through it, nor did I hear from like anyone that had done it. So I didn't really have any guidance outside of Neo Project, which is why I'm so grateful to have had them to been able to uh, help me out. But I was one of those overachievers, so I applied to like 20 different schools because I had the um, the application fee waivers. Um, so I applied to like 20 different schools. I It took me seven revisions for my personal statement, which I worked uh, closely with uh, Miss Leanne and my mentors and some other people that I was um, like paired up with uh, within um, NEO Project. Um, and I was just very nervous. I was like, I'm going to be authentically myself through every single application, through every single question, through everything. But I was also trying to know and build strategy and know how to how to be able to to get some scholarship money, how to be able to gain acceptance. Um, so it was like a, a game of chess and you have to play all your cards right and you have to just know that at the end of the day, it's going to work out for your best because I would have never thought that I was going to move to Chicago. I had my mind set on Howard University and I was like, I'm going to go to Howard. That's my dream school. And I did get accepted. I was very um, unhappy, but sadly, I wasn't offered so much financial aid. So Loyola, they just were like, we'll give you whatever you need. Please just come. And I was like, ah, like let's see like what happens. And then finally... um one of my um advisors he had uh recommended me for a program that just started off um last year called well in 20 2022 which is called the um leadership scholars program and they only select 20 students from the whole campus um freshmen to be a part of this and, and it's a full ride um for the four years of scholarship so i got nominated i did the application i did an interview and lo and behold, the day, the exact day of my prom, I found out that I was chosen and I'm one of two Hispanic men within the program. So it feels good to be like a uh, like representation for my community and for my people. So the whole process was very scary. It was moments where I felt like I can't do this. Moments where I felt uh, motivated. Um, so I'm very grateful for to. Um, for Neo Project and their guidance um, throughout the process. So I still remember the text message because you sent your sent yeah. me your picture, and then yes. you also said, "But also I have other news." Mm-hmm. Um, 
so, so how much scholarship money did you win in yeah. total? Because I think like you're downplaying it a little bit, but <laughs> you were able to achieve and you should totally, you know, get all the flowers is you stayed focused. You said, I want to not pay for school. I want to get mm -hmm. into schools. Mm -hmm. And how much scholarship did you ultimately win total? Yeah, I had that mindset. I told my mom when I first started to apply, I was like, mom, regardless of what happens, I'm going to go to school for free. I don't know how I was going to do it when the time but I was like we're gonna find a way and we're gonna do it and I'm grateful that it did happen so in total over all the schools that I had um applied for I got over 1.7 million dollars in scholarships um from all the schools it's so funny because I don't really like mention it because I feel like weird saying it but I'm learning to be proud of of the things that I've accomplished and the things that I've done because at the end of the day how like RuPaul says, if you don't love yourself, how can you love like somebody else? So if I'm not proud of myself, how can anybody else be? So, yeah. Absolutely. You deserve two snaps and then some. <laughs> um, because, uh, you know, I, I think your story hopefully will inspire students who are interested in NIA Project. You might be part yeah. of the Access Online yeah. uh, platform, currently navigating the courses and are probably used to hearing me too, too much on, <laughs> on the platform. But it, it really is possible. Um, you just have to be, my mom always says, focused, committed, mm -hmm. and disciplined. And yep. I tell you and the other students, it's not rocket science. Just follow, follow the recipe. Just yep. literally just follow what we tell you to do. You just do it. Don't kind of decide not to be committed. And, and you can and should yep. not only get into school, but have someone else pay for it. Yep. Because um, at the end of the day, one of the most challenge challenging things that students face those that are navigating the college um matriculation process is crippling student debt we have broader conversations in the united states right now about how challenging it is to have hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt once you yep. finish school and you at least know for your first degree you'll have to worry about that yep. uh, which i think is so inspiring I also want to point out, Adrian, that you got into a not only amazing school, but a specific and competitive program that's focused on leadership. So yes. I want to spend a couple of minutes talking about your leadership identity and mm -hmm. your leadership journey. Um, yeah. How do you like? How do you describe what a leader is, and how are you yeah. really living up to? your identity as a leader? Yeah, I would say that growing up, you didn't really hear of a leader outside of like the president. So I never really honed in on the idea of what is a leader or can I even be a leader? Um, I think I started to grapple with that idea once I got into Neo Project um, and to just learn about leadership like as a whole. Um, I feel like for me, a leader should be someone that is um, respectful, someone who is genuine, someone who is real, someone who cares about other people, but also knows that at the end of the day, they have to make a decision that is for the betterment of everyone. Um, so I feel like a leader is someone who not only puts other people before them, but can also draw the line and step back and say, wait, 
I'm like, let me make sure that I'm okay and that I'm fine as well. Because if you can't take care of yourself, you can't give to other people as well. So I feel that someone who is a leader is someone who is confident and is strong in their ideas and can set out groundworks to a um to be able to to come up with plans and solutions and everyone. Um and I feel like my leadership has evolved over time. I would definitely say it's way different from when I was in Near Project to now because I've grown within leadership uh within Near Project. I've grown within my new college campus, within my high school. Um so I would say that with leadership you would always it's kind of not a final destination, but it's always something you're working towards. And so you're working towards being a better leader, uh, being a better person, a better student. Um, so I would just say being a leader is a process. It's a journey um, to what to everyone that looks different. Um, and for me, it's kind of something I'm dealing with on a daily basis. So being able to show up as myself and as a leader within my school, um, within my job, within uh, clubs and organizations, uh, within my future. So just knowing that there are um, different leaders and that um, leadership looks different to everyone is key in understanding how we all can show up in the world. Thank you, Adrian. What I loved about what you said is a couple things. One, and we talk about this in Nia Project all the time, is that like mm -hmm. leadership is a verb. It's something yeah. that you do. It's an action. It's not like a noun or just a title that you achieve mm -hmm. at one point in time. And that this idea that your leadership um, identity is always evolving. It yeah. is something that looks different yesterday and will look vastly different tomorrow. Mm -hmm. The other thing that you said that I want to tease out a little bit more is this mm -hmm. idea that part of your leadership identity is being authentic being yeah. respectful and yeah. that's not only applicable in professional environments or in mm -hmm. school environments, but i imagine some of the biggest tests in leadership that you've had have mm -hmm. occurred in home environments and your family environments yeah one of the one of the things that we've talked about in the past is something that you wrote your essay on in in applying to college, which mm -hmm. I think might've been a significant test in your leadership. Um, yeah. How Talk to us a little bit about what you learned about leadership in navigating your identity within yeah. your family environment. I know you you had yeah. to navigate like a generational divide, perhaps with your mm -hmm. grandmother and your generation, which is like, I'm out, I'm loud, I'm proud. I'm <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, that was definitely something that was different. Um, my grandmother, um, and I, we've always had a great uh relationship. I've lived in the same house with her for many years of my life. Um, so when I finally came out and said, "Hey, grandma, like I'm gay," it kind of was something that she hadn't heard. She probably, she probably knew because I feel like she knew, but having the defining answer and to know that it's true kind of was a little um, difficult um, for her. So we went through a lot of challenging moments. There was hurtful stuff said. There was a time that we didn't speak for like much long, but I learned over time and through and through that experience that at the end of the day, I am not going to base um, 
my feelings, my leadership, my version of having an identity on the idea that she had, because I know that we're both from different generations. She's from the um, um, Dominican uh, Republic, which that's being gay and being open like that is not really seen so much over there. So it kind of was just something that I think was shocking and new for her. And maybe she didn't know how to navigate it. Um, we've had like conversations about it now and we're fine. Um, but it was definitely something that tested my leadership, that tested my um, like identity and just was a defining moment in standing firm on who I am, on how I think, how I live my life and just being truly of myself, um, regardless of the space that I'm in, regardless of the people that I'm around, regardless of anything, staying true to who you are, I think is key because it can unlock the essence of who you really are. And at the end of the day, there's only one you in this whole like entire world. So why not be the best version of you that you can be? Mm -hmm. A lot of times leaders um, have trouble with empathy and I, in hearing and talking to you about that moment of growth that you had in mm -hmm. your familial environment um, mm -hmm. around kind of the push pull between creating your own identity, being yeah. authentic, and then also being respectful of a differing opinion. Um, I think it is instructive for leaders and some of the biggest challenges we have today, which yeah. is how do we navigate points of difference in a way that still has empathy and love and respect. So with that said, Adrian, who is a leader that you admire and why? And it doesn't have to be a famous person. It could be yeah. someone that he knows. But talk to us about a yeah. leader you admire and why. I would say, I would say recently, I would say there's two. I would say my first one would be my mom. She's always been one of my biggest leaders. It sounds like cliche. Like a lot of people say like, oh, like I love my mom. But it's true. Like I saw my mom always working hard. She had moments where she worked three jobs at a time. But at the end of the day, she knew that what she was doing was because she like she sacrificed so much. And I've learned over time that her love was so strong that she had to sacrifice so many things. So she's definitely a leader within my family, within her jobs, within everything that she's done. She's always stood firm on who she is and never like back down and has always had this uh, level of like perseverance that has ultimately flown into my life and has allowed me to be a hard worker and driven and everything. And I would say another leader um, that I would say is uh, Malala Yousafzai. She's someone who I've always have been in awe of because she used her platform, her voice um, to stand up for a group of people, in her case, a group of women who they didn't have rights to go to school. They were being um, held back from the governments from going to school. And she to to um in her case put her life on the line because she was sadly um shot due to her claims so that kind of ties into leadership because she was fearless and she said how she thought how she felt and she stood firm on them on a global platform um in order to like enact change because she knew that what she was doing was greater than herself and that at the end of the day 
this was going to make a lasting impact that was going to last for generations. So she's definitely someone who I find as a leader. And I hope one day I can have like dinner with her and just talk and stuff. Adrian, the fact that you said your mother warms my heart. <laughs> I love your mom, by the way. Thank um, you. A lot of times we don't, we don't recognize that the people in our day-to-day -day lives are leaders. Mm -hmm. I think yeah. this narrative of leadership like teaches us to believe that leaders are the people that are elected to public yeah. office or are superstars or celebrities or people that have a lot of notoriety. Whereas yeah. leadership is just a skill that everybody has the capacity yeah. to possess. And so the fact that you see your mom's leadership is amazing. The other mm -hmm. thing that stands out to me before I ask you a couple of quick final questions is that you picked a young person. Yes. Um, I firmly believe, and this is kind of why I'm excited to have these conversations on the Accelerate Access podcast, is that I'm betting on young people. I'm yeah. betting on your generation. I always told people when I started the NEAR project, which is about 10 years old, just about 10 years old now, that our return on investment is a 25 to 30 year horizon that yeah. I'm betting on 15 year olds and 14 year olds that in 25 to 30 years, they are going to be the ones in the halls of power that have a different approach to leadership, that have a different mindset because of their exposure to new people, new experiences, new cultures. And because they went to college and didn't pay for it, that yeah. they will then be making decisions that I could be proud of. And so Adrian, if you had a magic wand and could solve one issue in the world, what would it be and why? Mm, that's very, like a very good question. I would say if I had a magic wand and I can solve one issue, I would just say it would be the lack of acceptance and understanding for people because I feel like oftentimes having a lack of understanding and acceptance for people can block us from actually knowing that yes we are all um, different and we all come from different unlike lived experiences but at the end of the day we're all tied by our common um our common uh humanity so being able to know that yes you may think different uh, like than me you may look like different than me you may have a different background but at the end of the day we're all human beings and should respect one another I'm like as such because I think that being the foundation of the world can stop so many other things like um violence hate racism like discrimination so I feel like having that common like understanding and um and acceptance is key so I would definitely want to change that so that we can all just live like a world that we're all just united. I am here for all of that. <laughs> um, Adrian, how are you going to change the world? I'm going to change the world by one of my favorite quotes that I'm not sure that anyone has said it, but I just kind of came up with it was I want to change the world by making space and filled rooms. So I want to make space in rooms where they're not filled with people like us. So I want to make 
a space where people from all walks of life, from different races, genders, ethnicities, social, like economic, um, like classes, um, just from all different parts of the world can be seen, can be heard and valued for who they are in their respective work environments, in their respective school environments, in whichever place that they may go to, that they may feel seen, heard, and like represented. So those rooms may be filled with people, but are they filled with people that look like us, that think like us, that have our best interests? Not all the time. So I would just say to make space in filled rooms is how I would change the world. Oh, I can't think of a better note on which to conclude our conversation. <laughs> I want to make a t-shirt right now. Yes. <laughs> that I'm going to change the world by making space in filled rooms. Because you know what? So often we think that there's no room at the table right? because it's full. right? But if you have an abundance mindset, like you are encouraging us to have, there's never going to be a room so full that there's not space for people like you right. and for people yeah. like me. So I feel much more confident yeah. in the future of our community, of our country, of our planet, because uh, you are a leader in your own right. Thank Adrian, you. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Accelerate Access. What we're going to do is be sure to share a little bit more in the show notes about who you are, what you're doing. I'll try to link out to some of your photos of your Ghana experience. Maybe I'll look for that text message. But congratulations on all you have accomplished. And thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. And just thank you once again for just allowing me to be able to share my experiences, um, my thoughts and my ideas, and to just be a vessel um, to help the world uh, become a better place. And I hope that a lot of people get to know more about um, Leo Project and know how uh, like revolutionary um, it is. So thank you guys. I appreciate it. I love it. Thank you all for joining us. Until next time, this is Accelerate Access by the Nia Project.